Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby. We are so glad to have the band back together again to talk about Julian's new show, The Gilded Age. We are really happy to have you here, and we are really happy to be together on this podcast after many years. I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. And I'm Shannon in Seattle. Shannon has moved to Seattle since we last recorded. Yeah, I bought a house on FaceTime. Did a did a pandemic move. So hello, it rains here. All right. So uh, what have you all been doing since we hung up our headphones? I didn't buy any. I didn't buy a house on FaceTime. I still live in the same apartment. You can find me in all the same online spaces, complaining about all the same things. I think that I started and finished a film. You absolutely did. Oh, yeah. I did my so-called selfish life, which we highly recommend. It's awesome. I mean, in this current moment, Brandy and I are watching all of the ice skating on the Olympics because that is our dorky uh, fanaticism. I will say that I have watched the entire sixth season, Downton Abbey, twice through since then. And I have even listened to our entire podcast once through. Amazing. Wow. I'm so glad you like the sound of our voices, Therese. <laughs> I'm the band member that goes to all the reunion uh, concerts. Oh, man. That's me. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, we're really glad to have you all here. We are going to talk about this show, The Gilded Age, which, uh, as we're recording this, has just finished episode three. Uh, But we're going to start at the very beginning and talk about our overall impressions. Before we do that, let's talk about how we've been waiting for this for seven years. How long has it been? This was, I think, originally going to be at NBC. It bounced around. It was originally going to be a prequel about Korra. It's changed a lot. So when it finally came on screen, I was kind of like, oh, this is different than what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, I I found that a lot of people didn't realize that it started as a Downton Abbey prequel about Korra's life in New York and I think her courtship with Robert. And one reason that it changed was because Julian thought Downton was all played out (laughs) and he didn't think that people would be interested in more Downton. That's crazy. We're on our second movie that comes out in May and we could keep going forever. Yeah, and this is like the age of the reboot too. I mean, everything can just keep going forever if you want it to. So that's what happened. But I have been having fun kind of trying to connect who the original characters were compared to who they are now. Um, So bear with me. If we're following this back to Cora's youth, then the Russells would actually be the Levinsons, Cora's parents, which would make Cora Gladys. Well, Cora's certainly more stylish than Gladys, and she at least knows how to tame her frizzy hair in her older life, so. Shannon, you wrote here, Gladys is so tragic looking. I mean, it's just, I feel like they're purposely dressing her terrible. Like, those little green velvet bows on a pink dress. I mean, it's just horrible, the way she's dressed, compared to her mother. And it's just, Cora would never wear that. Cora was always well-dressed. I think she's being infantilized, or or some, there was another theory that she's being dressed like English royalty. Okay. <laughs> but it's really just like little Bo Peep kind of dresses. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally little Bo Peep. It is amazing how childlike they are making her look, though. I mean, Thaisa Farmiga is 27. <laughs> <laughs> 
She's 27? Yes. And she looks 14? Yes. Wow. So. Well, then kudos to the costume people. I know that it's not fair to compare this to Downton Abbey, but I'm going to do it anyway. I found when we started, it just seemed kind of like nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. And nothing was at stake. And I was thinking, I went back into the Wikipedia entry for season one of Downton Abbey. And in the first episode, not only does the Titanic sink (laughs) and Bates arrives as valet, but also that Duke shows up and gets married to rifle through Thomas's things to find their love letters. Oh, yeah. This all happens in the first episode, and then the episode ends with Matthew Crawley getting the letter, and Isabel is reading it saying, our lives are about to change. Wow. That's all in the first episode. Wow. I, this was, that was my main complaint about the premiere. I think by the time we get to episode three, I'm starting to see like, okay, I can see where this is going, and I'm starting to care a little bit more. But yeah, there are, the stakes, the true stakes of the setup of Down Abbey are we're going to lose the Abbey. Like we're going to lose everything mm-hmm. to this rando because of this immense tragedy that has befallen our, exten- befallen our extended family. And the stakes of the Gilded Age are my neighbor doesn't like me. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's not comparable. And it was hard to really like, to really identify with Mrs. Russell in any way when she talked about abandoning all of her old friends. Like, I would like to know a lot more about that. Like, is she literally just trying to climb the ladder and just abandoned everyone who was alongside them as they built their fortune? Or was she tired of people you know, doing the same thing to her and basically like only being friends with her because they were rich. Like there, there has to be more of a backstory. Otherwise she just seems like, I don't know, she wants everyone to admire her. And if they don't admire her enough, she's going to pout about it. Yeah. It was kind of callous the way she dismissed her old friends when they lived in the thirties. It would have been nice to just get a glimpse of their old life. Because I bet she was sort of happier in her own way. Hmm. I don't sense that she's unhappy. I mean, I think she's being patient as she's waging her war. But I don't sense her as unhappy. I think she likes her big house. I think she likes her husband's success. You know, this is kind of like the classic storyline where you have a best friend that you've known since you were five years old and did all the slumber parties with. And then once you hit high school, you become friends with a couple of the cool kids and leave your best friend behind. And she's always there on the margins looking at you. Yeah, to be fair, I was the one on the margins, not the one that got (laughs) in with the cool kids. So yes, I totally understand. And I hope that one of her friends shows up. You know, we're only three episodes in. I think it's 10 episodes total. There is plenty of time for someone from her past to show up. And I think that would be a really interesting dynamic. It it totally would. And especially um, in the dinner scene in episode three, when the young Mr. Van Ryan is, you know, at dinner with them. And there's a couple of comments made about her family and, you know, where they came from. And she definitely brushes it off and doesn't seem that bothered. But you know that it actually does bother her, right? Like, I, I would love to see that backstory more of of where they came from. You want to see them digging those potatoes that they talked about? <laughs> I want to go all the way back. No, I mean, I I think just seeing the neighborhood that they used to live in would probably be enough. 
I want to see the receipts. Who the hell was actually on that Mayflower? Because everyone's saying they were on the Mayflower. Let's get the list. <laughs> that was such a good line. I mean, that everyone seems to have a relative who was on the Mayflower. It's true. And you know what was kind of shocking to me, although I should have known better? All the new money people are actually the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. <laughs> right. The people that we think of now as being like you know, old money. And, you know, if you're like Shannon and me and you work in fundraising, you're like still getting money from these people now in the year 2022. Yep, they're still around. I am curious of why we haven't seen the Russells host a party with the other new money. That is curious to me because she seems to be trying so hard to get in with the old money. But what about all the group that's building the new opera house? Why isn't she rubbing shoulders with them? That's an excellent question. Why isn't she? It seems like she she wants what she can't have a little bit, but there's nothing about the rest of her life that speaks to that desire. You know, like she seems very content in her marriage. She loves her children. She is having fun with her decorating. Like there's nothing else that's like a discontent that goes with that same theme of just like, if you won't have me, I'll make you want me. Um, so again, that's where I think the backstory could help. Like at what point was she told you'll never be anything in this town or whatever? <laughs> like what, it, what exactly is she trying to avenge? Yeah. When was she thrown down in the mud and said, you'll never be anything in this town. Yeah. We need that scene. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you know, did a Dalmatian push her mom off the cliff? Like what happened here? <laughs> Wait, what is, What? <laughs> That's a that is a reference to the backstory in the movie Cruella. Uh, <laughs> Why Cruella? Can we talk for a moment about how this entire series opens with a letter? Oh my god, I loved it so much. I just it's so Julian. No one knows the drama of a letter pass more than Julian. From person to person to person, the very first ever episode of Downton Abbey, the opening of the Downton Abbey movie. <laughs> There's nothing like a letter to really, I don't know. <laughs> to really pass through a house and show us all the rooms. Well, it's like how Aaron Sorkin has people walk and talk. Julian Fellows has a letter pass. It's just his signature move. I love that he's in a new country and a new time period. And he's like, fuck it. Bring back the letter. Yep. With a, with a black thing around it. Which means someone's died. Did you know that? I didn't know that. That when someone dies and you're writing to tell other people about it, you use this card with a black border. I guess it's like the old emojis. You know right away what it means. All right. One, one more sort of overall thing that we need to discuss. Those are the dresses. <gasps> I love the dresses. Am I the only one who thinks that Bertha's dresses are fucking hideous? <laughs> like They are kind of hideous, but I like them. <laughs> Some of them are hideous and some are fantastic. Like the dress with the peacock feathers that she wears to the bazaar. It's like the light blue with the peacock feathers. Did you not like that one? I think maybe this is just not my era of fashion because to me, I'm just like, it's too much. There's too many things. <laughs> too much going on. There's a lot of fabric. The ones that have tons of draping all over them and then some giant triple bow bustle, I'm not really into at all. But some of the simpler ones, I think, are really beautiful. I mean, I like them for the storytelling, for the world building. I, I th think it's always clever when you can look and see, like, okay, she, she's on the cutting edge, but almost, like, 
too much, mm -hmm. too try hard, versus the other characters who are, you know, a little bit still stuck in the past. And, you know, I, lo I love a visual note of that. It's similar to, you know, our beloved Mad Men when it went into the 70s and they were all wearing, like, polyester suits and stuff. Love it. Dawn is still just in his, like, gray suit, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. He may look decent, but he also, like, anybody walking down the street's gonna know that guy's square <laughs> yeah and agnes's hair is totally square not just her hair all of her dresses that look like they're made of upholstery fabric with all the passementerie hanging from it you know fringy things it looks they look like throw pillows or something i love when she's like in a bunch of fringe and sequins and it's like i have to go dress for dinner and it's like uh this is a daytime look what's happening at dinner I don't know. I'd, I'd much rather look at Bertha's dresses than really anyone else's, except Mrs. Chamberlain. Mrs. Chamberlain. Jean Triplehorn, which, you know, I, I love that it's her in the role because, you know, there must be something more interesting coming with the character down the road. But yeah, she she actually looks fabulous. I, I do like the way that she looks mm -hmm. standing in the corner at the bazaar, just a mystery wrapped in an enigma of a woman who fucked somebody before she was married. But she still, it's not, okay, so the, all they did was just fuck before they got married and the kid was just a little bit old. It's not like it was someone else's child. It was her husband's child, right? Okay, it doesn't seem like a big deal. No, see, and like, I know that that, you know, is considered scandalous at the time, but not something that's going to mark you for like decades if you're also rich. Right. Like, you can get away with that if you're also rich, right? Her dresses are impeccable. I've only seen her in two gowns, but they're both impeccable. I do feel like there's a more interesting show going on at her house, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we go to her house? It's way more interesting. Hey, it's only a matter of time before Marianne takes her baby blue separates and goes to have tea with Mrs. Chamberlain. Can we talk about Marianne? Like, do we have to? No, let's talk about Marion. We need to. We need to talk about Marion. She's so horrible. I mean, how, like, the character, the actress, I mean, I don't, I don't want to show on the actress, but, like, if you're Meryl Streep's daughter, don't you need to, like, step it up a notch? Like, come on. You know what's interesting? She, she reminds me of her sister who was on, um, oh, sorry for saying this. She was on The Good Wife a lot. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. It only took We've 20 minutes. years and we still haven't watched The Good Wife. <laughs> but, but she was, anyway, she played a lawyer. And when she was a lawyer, she used this tiny little girl voice all the time and, like, sort of acted really meekly. But that was her strategy because she was a killer. And you knew she was a killer and she was just putting it on for, you know, the jury and the judge. With Marion? I feel like this is one of the characters where you can, like, see the parallel in Down to Abbey. And she should have been a Sybil, but she's not a Sybil, mm -hmm. you know? It's just, like, her protests aren't protesty enough because she's still just, like, gonna be accepted as the Van Ryan niece. And she's really not being that scandalous at all. She literally only stayed at the party for 30 seconds. <laughs> like, it's not like she went and, like, partied up a storm. She got dressed like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. She went there for 30 seconds. And then she came back across the inexplicably clean street <laughs> and snuck in. I mean, that's not true daring, okay? She's not going to show up at the luncheon at Mary Astor's in harem pants, you know? I'm not feeling that from her. I'm not feeling it either. 
And like, I know they, they are trying to show her as sort of a rebel, but it's just not happening. I don't know if it's just that little voice of hers. I think it's really hard when you've only done a high school production of Our Town and then your next role is this. And I'm just waiting for goodbye clocks to come out of her at any moment. And it's just, it's bad. She's just, she just needs to be recast. I'm just going to say it. Who would you, wait, who would you recast her with? Someone sassier. She needs a little oomph to her. She needs an oomph. Let's get one of these euphoria girls in there. Should we cast in time? <laughs> Let's recast. Will Sydney Sweeney be Marion and will Zendaya be <laughs> Miss Scott and then they can get into adventure? No, actually, I don't I don't mind Marion and Peggy together, like when they're like walking through town and they're sort of like giggling over a proposal. That creepy lawyer from Pennsylvania came and moved to New York and then immediately asked me to marry him. How romantic. Yeah, that's a horror story. Run. Ryan, we all know that as women. That's not romantic. It's good that he's turning out to be a little creepy because this is something, and this comes up in the third episode as well with the guy who comes after Ada. Like, we've seen Agnes be so bitchy shutting things down and it all seems like snobbery, but there are these glimpses where it's like, this woman has seen a lot. She went through a yeah. terrible marriage of her own. Like, she is protecting Ada and Marion as well. Like, they should trust her instincts when it comes to a dude sniffing around their money. I agree. I really like that scene where she told him off. And it was like, oh, there's more to her. And I do, yeah, we, it was alluded to that she was in an abusive marriage. So she knows the darkness that can be in a marriage. And she is trying to protect them. I, I thought that was a nice, you know, layer to add on to her character. I think this is one of the things that made episode three so good. I've really been waiting for an, for episode three, honestly. And I think that one of the things that, that made it so good were, was things like this, like next level Agnes. Because there's only so much you can really listen to. We're the old money. They're the new money. We're the old money. Her protecting Ada, even though it was kind of tragic... I actually understood what was going on in her head and it kind of made a lot of sense. Let's talk about Peggy and then let's circle back and talk about Oscar because those are the two characters who are Julian trying to fix past wrongs, right? And some of it works and some of it doesn't work so well, but Uncle Julian is trying, I think. Do you think he just took Peggy's character from Mad Men and put her... <laughs> <laughs> literally still named Peggy yeah. like wants to be a writer yeah she wants a creative lifestyle enter the boys club I, I am looking forward to the fact that it seems like we're going to get to see more of her, her family and that side of town because I think that's that's a great opportunity for building out this world um and yeah finally showcasing a little diversity in a period drama you know there's there's absolutely no reason not to and of course Julian wasn't the only writer and there were you know black women behind the scenes on this as well so you know maybe an old dog can learn a new trick or two i don't know julian you old dog we'll see where it goes <laughs> from what i've read uh interviews with danae benton who plays peggy she got there and got a script in her hands that had a really one-dimensional character and she worked with the writers and fleshed her out and basically said, uh, there's this whole world that she belongs to there, and we should really show it. What a great opportunity. And it seems like, you know, everyone was down with that. And um, 
And one of the things she said was, why should she work for a white publisher? There are a lot of great black newspapers in New York at the time. And you've got her, you've got the executive producer, who also directed episode three, by the way, um, Sally Richardson Whitfield. Episode three is the first of four episodes that she directed, and I did feel like it had a different tone to it. I agree. That does not surprise me at all. None of that surprises me. And as much as I think it's great that the actress could have input, it's also kind of like she shouldn't have had to be pointing that out to anyone. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that should have been self-evident. You're talking about New York City. Like, at least Downton is set in a place where it's a little bit understandable. But, like, you are speaking about New York City. Like, there's no reason not to have diverse characters. Yeah, it's totally true. But, you know, Julian, he's so fascinated by this era. And then he discovered there were Black people who lived in New York City at the time who were actually quite well off. And he thought, well, here's a story that no one knows. I'd like to share it with everyone. Oh, God. I'm just doing word for word. But it's all right. He's got his old old storylines, too. We've got, you know, Mrs. O'Brien packaged in a new form, you know, so he mixes. He's mixing the old and the new himself. Okay, before we go downstairs, which we definitely need to do. um, So the, the other character, obviously, you know, as the one who was constantly wanting Thomas to fuck somebody on on Down Abbey, you know, Episode one, we're showing two men in bed together. I mean, it's definitely something. Is it progress? <laughs> I don't know. All they ever talk about is how he's going to scheme and marry a woman with money. I mean, I would I would love this storyline to actually be a little bit more about the boyfriend as well. So I am hoping for something more than just this happens to be the secret I'm keeping, you know? Like, there's, again, we're in New York City. Like, there's a subculture to explore here. That's right. There would be a subculture to explore, which would be really interesting, actually, to to see that whole world. Um, Shannon, you wrote something in the notes about uh, Oscar Van Ryan and why they made him look like a comedic villain. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he... Looks like a comedic villain. I mean, he doesn't look like a normal person in any time period, which I find kind of strange because he's a little bit of an ingenue character. I mean, he's got villainous aspects, obviously, with the scheming, but I feel like we're going to get him to, like, an ingenue place in the story. And I I, I just thought it was kind of a strange casting. And I, I have to say the look across the board is a bit strange. There's definitely plastic surgery faces, some people look quite modern. Some people look like they fit within the time period. So it's a little bit of a strange look overall for the show. But specifically him, yeah, that mustache. I was just wondering if he's going to be tying Gladys to the train tracks yeah. by the end of this season. Yeah, or he's going to become a magician at some point or something. And that actor is British. I, I really enjoy the, the extras because you can see everyone speaking with their actual accents. And so uh, the actor who plays Oscar Van Ryan is British and the actor who plays the very creepy lawyer from Pennsylvania is Australian. And I have to say, listening to him speak with his Australian accent bumps his attractiveness up like five or six notches because he's doing that weird, like American accent, like, uh, cousin Patrick when he came back from Canada. (laughs) He's like, don't you recognize me? Oh, it's because of my Canadian accent. He's 
There's a whole range of weird accents. I mean, Cynthia Nixon, I'm not really sure what's going on with that voice. And it is very strange to watch just like that and Gilded Age in the same week and see Cynthia Nixon in totally different roles. The strangest is, is it supposed to be a Boston accent? The footman who's like, let's go to the Magic Lantern. <laughs> like, what? Oh, God, add him to the list of just, you know, the the Williams and such, the tragic footmen. The tragic footmen. <laughs> Lusting after some, you know, girl who'd rather make jam than hang out with him. But before we go downstairs, <laughs> we have to talk about one more character. And that is the smoking hot George Russell. Woo! I mean, can run your railway through me any day. <laughs> Amazing. He is so What is it about him? What is it? Power, money, stocks. He's he's like super powerful. He has the power to make men <laughs> pull it through their heads. And yet, he's so sweet when he's with his wife. Like they have this genuinely sweet relationship and he really respects her and loves her and supports her. Yeah, they're sweet and they throw down, you know, like I love it. I I really their relationship is probably my favorite part of the show and he is very sexy and I absolutely refuse to understand what shorts shorting stocks is or how it works. <laughs> this the NFTs of the 1800s, I don't know, but all I knew in episode three was that he was going to fuck these men over and I was into it. <laughs> and I love part of his speech was like, also your wife's fucked my wife over and I'm extremely loyal to her. So yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, that was even sexier. He was like, okay, like you fucked with the wrong people. Like not just me, my whole family. Yeah, sometimes when I feel like he's just too much of the mustache twirling kind of villain... I think about how the entire city dissed them and didn't show up for their at home. All those lobsters. Oh, the lobsters. It was really sad. It was really sad. And those giant fish. I don't even know what to say about the giant fish. But but I keep reminding myself of how like ridiculously rude and entitled the old money people were. And then I thought, you know what? You you go for it, George. You do interesting. I see them as the heroes of the story. Because you said that he might be the villain, but I see them as the heroes. Like, they're the ones who are going to conquer in the end. Yeah, I'm. My, my jury's a little out on that. I can't quite... I don't know. Brandy, do you think they're the heroes of the story? Oh, I don't know. They're definitely the people that I'm going to root for, right? But I also, like, you know, I didn't want the guy to shoot himself in the head. You know, it, I think the fact that it went so far is... I, I'm very interested to see how that colors things moving forward i mean there's only so much sympathy i can have for someone who thinks if they don't have money they might as well die but it's also like you know he he might not have understood quite the level that they were working at like the way that people only identify themselves through their past through what they've built versus bertha saying we'll just do it again like that would never that would never enter these other people's minds you know so it was kind of a different conversation that they were having the whole time these men well they also don't know how to work and george has had a job presumably yes that's true that was actually very endearing when when bertha said 
we've built a fortune together. We can do it again. Yeah, I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, it was really sweet in a sort of weird way. But I, I really thought that's nice. That's so sweet that you're saying that. Like, that's what, you know, that's what a good partnership is, <laughs> even though it results in suicide. So apparently that is a true story. Um, several people who got screwed in a deal with these very, very powerful people uh, killed themselves. This is straight out of the history books. I think, unfortunately, it's the kind of thing that, you know, still happens a lot. Yeah. I don't know. We look, Capitalism. It's fucked. Yeah, <laughs> it is fucked. Can we talk about Stanford White just for a moment? Like, I don't know if he's going to come back again, but, like, he was pretty prominent in the first two episodes, and that house is, like, a character in the, in the show. So... Stanford White was sort of an up-and-coming architect. Um, he was very, like, new money. Um, he wasn't the architect that all the old money used, which is all really interesting. But in addition to that, if anyone has read or seen Ragtime, uh, you will know <laughs> that he was an unbelievable perv who play preyed on um, teenage girls, including this woman, Evelyn Nesbitt. Mm. This is, like, really, really gross stuff. Um, and he would seduce them when they were very young and then move on, you know, to the next very young girl. And he was actually murdered. Spoiler. Hmm. It's so sordid. The whole story is incredibly sordid. And in these first two episodes, he just looks like, you know, this guy with a mustache. On the opposite end, our angelic son of the Russells, Larry Russell. Aww. The cutie pie from Dark. Such a cutie pie. Don't know where he's going in his storyline, but he's just a ray of sunshine. You know, I think the main thing this show is missing that Downton had was a sense of fun. It's just not very fun. There's not humor. There's not a lot of smiling, you know? So I feel like Larry Russell is just this burst of sunshine every time he comes on screen. He is. And also, you know, remember how he went up to Newport where he met, you know, Carol and Astor and... Oscar Van Ryan and others. Mamie Fish. Mamie Fish. Real life hostess. Yeah, that's my girl right there. The actress's name is Ashley Atkinson. Who, uh, like, I will never get out of my head her performance in Black Klansman. If anyone has seen the movie, she plays the wife of the white supremacist. I definitely did not recognize her from that. I hope we get to have more parties at her house. And yeah, just more fun. More There's an element of Downton, despite, you know, Julian's whole deal, that had a self-awareness sometimes, you know? Like, think of a character like Carson constantly complaining about the new things or whatever. Like, the actor injected into that a little bit of a wink to us, right? And I, I'm not getting any any wink from anything on here. We are missing a sense of fun and a sense of understanding that they're in a period drama. And I'll just be honest, I don't have anything to say about these servants. They're all so boring so far that I'm hoping we get more of them because it feels very two-dimensional right now. I can't. I'm like groaning out loud every time that lady's maid, whatever her title is, shows up and she's just like absolutely ready to hit her knees behind a dressing screen at any moment. <laughs> yeah, she's the new Jane. You know, <laughs> and it's just like, well, how do you think this is going to work, lady? Like, I don't, I don't know what, she says she has a plan. I'm not sure what the plan is. Like, Bertha will knife you in your sleep. <laughs> like, this is not a good plan. No, it's true. I would be so disappointed in George if he fell for that kind of thing. 
he should be smarter than that, right? Like, yeah, I would hope so. I don't. So I don't know where it's going because that's the only place he can go, really, right? Ugh. Well, who else could she sleep with? There's nobody. Like, there's no like viable romantic hero downstairs. Though I always, I really like the butler guy. I like how he's sort of weirdly progressive and is always, but he still wants people to make curfew. Like, <laughs> I want to know more about him. And I feel like there are some really talented actors down there who are being given nothing to do. Nothing to do. So it's it's rather curious to me um, if they just got bored with the upstairs downstairs or what, because. Especially when you have a character like Peggy who's really well designed to sort of cross the bridge there. Yeah. But it isn't really helping with that at all. The other thing is that, like, that downstairs is loaded up with Tony winners. The whole show is loaded up with Tony winners, like Broadway superstars. And then you see someone like um, the butler, the, the Russell's, uh, sorry, the Russell's valet is played by Michael Cerverus, who is a, a theatrical superstar with a gorgeous voice. And he, he has had nothing to do for three episodes. And I'm just sitting there waiting to see what he actually gets to do, which I hope is What's something. he doing when he's going for a walk? Right? He's Hopefully he's performing in a musical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One would hope. Oh, his name is Watson. I don't know. I feel like this is a thing about shows like this. Is after three episodes, I should already know that his name is Watson. Like, I shouldn't be having to look it up on IMDb, right? Like, I always feel like whether or not I'm retaining anything about the characters' names actually kind of says a lot about how successful the show is is with its ensemble. Anybody's names. Because I feel like if they do talk, it's very stereotypical. It's characters we've seen before. It's very quick. You know, the whole thing with the uh, Mrs. Patmore lookalike who, you know, was gambling. That was like the dumbest storyline. It was like too early for that, Julian. I'll put up with that in season three. I can't put up with that in episode two. I can't. We can't be spilling candlesticks in the street over a gambling debt. Yeah this early and then marion being like i'm sure she won't do it again like girl have you met a gambling addict (laughs) this is not you're gonna lose all your silver i i have learned the mean girls names though i know there's mrs fane and mrs morris but which one's which okay kelly (laughs) o'hara plays mrs fane aurora fane is that right aurora fane that's a good name yeah and then mrs morris is played by um Katie Finneran. And now she's the Widow Morris. The Widow Morris. So, oh my god. Sad times. How embarrassing. Sad, sad times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I mean, it's tragic, but it it's also embarrassing. And uh, uh, in this world, being embarrassed is tragic. So One thing that we haven't talked about in terms of the characters is what is Peggy's secret? Oh, right. Actually, I'm going to move us into the burning questions section. So what is Peggy's mystery? I think it's a secret child. Okay, I thought it was like she eloped with someone and then they had to annul the marriage. That's a good one. Huh. I wonder if it's something to do with her father's business. Do we know what his business is? It's just like reference that she should go and work for him, but she seems so like repulsed by the idea i wonder if there's something illegal going on in his business that she can't abide yeah like what is she talking to the lawyer about hopefully he makes himself useful yeah at least for that 
I mean, do we really believe that Marion is in any way interested in marrying that guy? I'm worried that we're supposed to think that, that we're supposed to be rooting for them to be together. No, I, when she was like, I'm not interested to her aunt, I was like, good for you. Like, okay, you could flirt, you could go see a giant hand. But like, you know, you don't have to like this guy just because he likes you. <laughs> I really had to think about what the giant hand was. I was like, what the hell is Brandy talking about? You're talking about the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> Lady Liberty. I was like, what is she talking the about? The Statue of Liberty's hand. This is a true story. They, they, they made Lady Liberty holding the torch, just her hand holding the t- torch. They hauled her over to New York, put her in Madison Square Park as a fundraising tool. To raise money to finish the statue. I believe it all. And and it's still copper colored. You could someone was very pleased with themselves for getting that historical detail correct, I'm sure. Um <laughs> I just think the whole thing is weird. Like she was so giddy when like and not in the day before she was like, No, I'm not interested in that guy, you know? There's a much cuter guy who's much richer right across the street. Oh my god, like, yes. Come on. I mean, I see them getting together. That seems obvious. I think that I think that's the long game. I think she's going to, you know, be too naive and get her heart broken by the lawyer. I don't know why we need to go down that road because I think it's a little at odds with the setup of her as having a pretty good head on her shoulders. Look, but... sometimes you just want to go to second base with a boy you're not going to marry. Just let her <laughs> have her fun. Go to the Lantern Show, feel around for some things, and have a good time. <laughs> and that's okay. Okay, but I don't want it to go any further than that. That's fine. I don't think it's going to. I mean, over Agnes's dead body. Yeah. Seriously. No, absolutely. She'll true. ruin him. Okay, I have another burning question. What's up with the staff at the Van Ryan house, or the Brook house, as it keeps being referred to? Like, who... Is there, who dresses Agnes and Ada? Like, do they have a lady's maid? Who does up their corsets? Who puts all those braids in their hair? Yeah, they don't have a, they don't have a scheming lady's maid like the other house does. They have a butler. They have a housekeeper. They have a maid and a footman. That's it. Oh, maybe they help each other. Isn't that sweet? Well, that was my theory. Maybe they just do up each other's corsets and braid each other's hair. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. No, it just makes no sense. And there is there is some reference to how small the staff is. I'm just confused by this. I should probably let it go. All right, what other burning questions do you have? We didn't answer that one very well. No, we didn't. Who is this beau of Gladys's, Mr. Baldwin or whatever, that she was really awkwardly talking about at dinner? Oh, yeah, Archie. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. I was like, have we seen Archie before? No. Okay. I, I do hope that they don't just talk about it. I would like to see the, the you know, the coming out ball. I think that'll... The, sh- the show needs some bigger events. It was great to see them trash the bazaar. Loved that. Loved that scene. Loved it. But, like, we, we haven't had a big party. Mm. We had the promise of a big party that failed. We've had all these charity events. They're just not doing it for me. Clara Barton. Clara Barton was there. Well, they they keep teasing some big ball that I'm sure is happening at the Russells that uh, Agnes for sure goes to because you see her walking into their house. Those are the stakes right there. She crosses the street. That's it. She crosses the street, crosses the threshold, and there she is in the house. 
I don't know. That's another thing that Downton was so good at is there was always just some reason for people to be getting together looking fancy. You know, like, give us what we want. I mean, Bertha looks fancy every single minute of her life. She's the fanciest. She's fabulous. But she's just by herself a lot. She needs her She needs her girl crew. She's ready to step into her queen bee status. None of these people are even worth hanging out with her. Like, they're also boring. What's she even going to do if she gets invited to their luncheons? I know. Like, I mean, why isn't she just hanging out with a Vanderbilt? Well, it was filmed during COVID, so some of these reasons might just be they couldn't have big scenes with lots of people in them. <laughs> I'm going to say, in defense of Gilded Age, like, Downton had a relatively small cast, and they most of them lived in the same place. And I do think that this is quite ambitious in the size of the cast and this, the geography of it and all the different locations. Sure. I agree. Downton is much more self-contained and therefore much easier to follow and much easier to learn people's names. And, you know, Gilded Age is asking more of us. They're asking us to follow a lot more characters, um, to, you know, recognize the Fifth Avenue Hotel versus the Armory, things like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, and I'm fine with doing my little, you know, Gilded Age After Dark Wikipedia looking up the Armory, you know, but just being in a world isn't the same as world building oh snaps so that's that's what i'm missing you know there's just not many period pieces right now so it's just really nice to get to be in a different time in a different world and there's no covid in that world and it's wonderful so i will live in that for nine episodes so wrapping up our gilded age conversation uh we will be back after episode six or seven, depending on how the storyline goes, for another Gilded Age podcast, and then a final podcast after the last episode. And you know what else is going to be playing during this time is the next season of Bridgerton, which is also, uh, you know, tiaras and dresses. And Teresa and I both read the book, so we might mix in a little Bridgerton conversation Mm. as well. Mm -hmm. It's coming. Literally. Literally. Yeah. And... <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we thought it would be really fun to end this episode with our traditional one fabulous thing. So who wants to go first? Woohoo. I can go first, and mine's going to have a Downton Abbey connection. Um, I just want to recommend the Dan Stevens movie, I'm Your Man. Oh, yes. Which is now on Hulu. Um, it's from last year. It's, it's been out for a minute, but it's, but it's newly available on Hulu. So folks should definitely check it out. His performance in German as a humanoid robot was wonderful. (laughs) Um, it's a very strange movie, but I, I really liked it. And I just think like when he left Downton, I was so like, what are you doing, man? But he's had (laughs) such an interesting career and he's really such a versatile and just, magnetic actor on screen you know i just love seeing him doing these weird things it's a really good movie it's a great movie and he does speak german for the entire movie save one line that's said off screen Uh, my one fabulous thing is a television show which is a british television show called we are lady parts which can be found on peacock it is a story of a group of British Muslim young women who are in a punk band. And not only is it delightful, it is uh, a revelation 
with, like, just spending time with all these women who are all really different, who aren't, like, the Muslim woman in this show. They're hilarious. They're weird. They're great musicians. The, the musical stuff is great. I don't know what else to say about it. It's such an absolutely delightful show. So it's called We Are Lady Parts. That's the name of their band. And it's on Peacock. I, that one's been on my list, and I need to watch it this month while I have a Peacock subscription for the Olympics. So thank you for the reminder. That's awesome. And I'm going to do a show that has finished a little while ago, but we just absolutely loved, and our good friend um, helped usher it in at Showtime, and that is Yellow Jackets. And if you've not watched Yellow Jackets, get your free week subscription at Showtime and watch it. It's a totally kick-ass punk rock really fun horrifying (laughs) funny show that follows um a high school soccer team that crashes in the wilderness and you have the girls as teenagers and then some of them as adults and it's a just an amazing cast it's so fun i actually watched the whole season twice i loved it so much and i don't usually do that so um highly recommend as someone who doesn't like horror movies do you still recommend it yeah, I don't I don't like scary stuff at all and it was fine. It's more like creepy. Um kind of remind me of Lost and how it would be creepy and there is a little bit of gore, but it's not that bad. Are there jump scares? No, more psychological scares, I would say. But I, I really thought it I it wasn't like I couldn't sleep afterwards. So, it was just more it was more really fun, honestly. <laughs> and Christina Ricci who oh. um, you know, now and then was my favorite movie. As a kid, I wrote her a fan letter. <laughs> this is the best acting she's ever done. She is incredible as Misty. So it's just, it's a phenomenal acting class of those four actresses. Misty Quigley is yes. one of the best characters. Like, she's going to go down in, like, TV history. Like, mm-hmm. incredible stuff. Just unhinged. Absolutely wonderful. I will also say I'm getting really excited for something that's coming up soon, which I don't, they haven't released the date yet, but they're doing the Time Traveler's Wife as a mini series on HBO Max. So I'm rereading the book right now. Um, and it has uh, Rose Leslie from Game of Thrones as um, the main actress in it. So, um, and then the guy is the main guy from Divergent who played for uh, Theo James. But oh, it's... The, you mean the the Turk from Downton Abbey? Oh my god, he was the Turk! Right. <laughs> Those are both Turk. Downton actors bringing it back around. Oh my gosh, yes, and I forgot that she was on Downton too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That was really nicely done, Shannon. I know you've been planning this since we started the, the episode, and I just, I'm so happy the way you just brought it back around to Downton. I'm really glad that I came across as really surprised that I forgot that they both were on down. No, I like legit forgot they both were on down. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this special Gilded Age episode of Downton Gabby. We are going to see you in a few weeks after episode well, six or seven. We'll figure it out and um, talk about uh, how we think the series is moving along and if episode three was a um, indication of the good times to come. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. Thank you.